The days are getting shorter, and you can feel it in the air. Yes, it's that time of year. Pumpkin is finally back at Dunkin'. It's the cozy you've been craving all summer long, now in your cup at Dunkin'. Pick up all of your pumpkin favorites, like the signature pumpkin spice iced latte, or a pumpkin iced coffee, and bakery items like pumpkin donuts and muffins. Sip into something comfortable to celebrate the start of cozy season. Use the Dunkin' app for contactless ordering. America runs on Dunkin'. We were just listening. We totally forgot in the last episode about how the real answer to the most like hard to understand niche accent in America is like the Cajun Kunas accent from like Louisiana. Oh, and yeah. we just watched a video of a Cajun man describing the scene of a crime, and his name was Linus Guiot. Linus, like wow. Dennis with an L. Yep. Linus Guiot. And he 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 grabbed his he grabbed his pistol because he he was shooting next door. He put it in the pocket because he might come bang on my door. Well, uh, <laughs> I once auditioned for a play in New York City. Um, are we rolling, by the way, rolling. Um, Welcome to the Firescape, everybody. Yep, what's going on here, y'all? Roll. This is a story about this is the podcast story. Yes, the story podcast about telling stories. It's a podcast about transatlanticism, and we're just two dudes from Alabama. Just two humble humble boys. Mm-hmm. Just some good old boys. Never yep. meaning no harm from Alabama. Joined by the famed Welsh Londoner himself, Howell John. And Same. we're whinging about life in the big city. We're also pontificating a lot. That's mm-hmm. a word. Word of the week. Pontificating. That's a word that my granddad likes to use a lot. He's a pontificator. You know the derivation of the word pontificating, it must come from pontiff, which who is the pope? The pontiff is the pope. Yeah, I think it, I think it does come from that. Uh, and it's it's you know colloquial Southern usage or you know American usage. I don't know if it's like this in in the UK, but to pontificate is to speak um, ab- on something you know like on an opinion in a very like at, at length at length and in an annoying like assertive way so like, like when you're pontificating is it's kind of getting up on your soapbox about something yeah yeah ah interesting i thought it was just like serious thought um no i think there's i think, a, yeah, I think you have like to do it to ponder, someone ponderificating like, so like pontificating is when you talk loudly about uh you know about your about your thing when you're like ah interesting hey, let me pontificate about you about something real quick or you know See, like I'm, about, I'm about to do no not pontificate i'm about to do some pontificating mm-hmm. like when we talk about social media or something and we we have a, our very solid opinions we're pontificating mm-hmm. ah there's so many there's a variety of opinions about a variety of meanings yeah uh, so the sort of wiktionary one is express one's opinions in a pompous and dogmatic way, yep. which is interesting because I literally just thought it was like to think aloud, you know, I pontificate. Mm-hmm. So that would be like he was pontificating about art and history, you know, but the idea being that everyone listening to him would be like, oh, shut up, mate. And, um, <laughs> yeah. and then yeah. the mansplaining second one before was, mansplaining was mansplaining. Yeah, mansplaining. Like, exactly. Before there was mansplaining, there was pontificating. Which makes well, sense actually. Especially if it derives from 
number two in the Roman Catholic Church, officiate as a bishop, especially at Mass, i.e. he pontificated at three Christmas Masses. But, you know, you could have probably combined those, couldn't you? So you yeah. could pontificate at three Christmas Masses whilst also pompously and dogmatically pontificating about probably the subjects of the Christmas Mass. War so on you Christmas. Could w, you could dub the use. Yeah, yeah so if you, were, yeah. if you were delivering Christmas Mass and talking about the war on Christmas as like a very real and specific and like actual threat, you would be double pontificating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Double You would yeah, pontificate tw twice. Pontificate squared. Yeah. yeah double. Um, but there's also a second meaning of the noun. It's also a noun. It's not just the verb. The noun of pon a pontificate is, I guess, probably like a certificate, but a pontificate is a period of office in the Roman Catholic church. Uh -huh. So, You'd be like Pope Gregory VIII enjoyed only a ten-week pontificate, pontificacy, which, which makes makes sense in terms of the noun being that it is the noun is the period of time of which he is doing much pontificating. Yes, a Roman popery, papery. Yeah. Whereas in the Cambridge English Dictionary, they say interestingly, it is to speak or write and give your opinion about something as if you knew everything about it. And as if only your opinion was correct, which is even better. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what was that dictionary? The Cambridge English Dictionary says, to speak or write and give your opinion about something as if you knew everything about it, and as if only your opinion was correct. Yep. Yeah, that sounds exactly. Sounds right to me. In fact, so, that's the definitely the old, the old timer man, the old timer yeah. southern man way of saying pontificating. It's usually kind of a self, you know, self-deprecating, like, you know, I was just doing some pontificating on this thing. Yeah, or Coulter was pontificating about the Alabama college football team at great yeah. length. Yep, yeah. exactly. I yeah. do a lot of pontificating about that. In that style. As Man, if we better you know change about it. We better change the category of this podcast to education because mm -hmm. we, we're going to learn, learn something it. today. Lexicographical education. How? what you know good? What you, what you know good, boy? What you know good? What does that mean? Hit me. Hal, that means uh, you what's know up? what's going on. Tell what's, me what's new? Tell me something new. What you, you know said good? That to me before. What you know good? What you know? What you know good? I don't know. What you know good? What you, what do I know good? It's a good question. What do I know good? What do I pontificate on? I don't know if I do. You know, um, just last week I did some some of the acting for the first time in six six long years. That ca that classifies like that would be a good. Uh, if I said Hal, what you know good? And say, well, I'm, you know, I'm doing all right. I just did some acting. Couple, that would couple be, weeks that back. would qualify. Just did some did some acting uh, past few weeks back yeah, up there on the stage. Yeah, yeah. I'd I would have said I said it because it's like, what do I know good? And I, I guess that took me to acting because I used to think that I really knew good about what it yeah, was to be the that's actor. A, but that's I haven't the, done it for such a, a long time. Mistake. What you know good yeah. doesn't isn't actually something that I mean, you, like, like, you don't oh, need to know man, something good. What you know good up, is you just know. what's up. Yeah. Que pasa? Que uh, you know? Que pasa? Que pasa? Que pasa? What's up? Casa, What's, no good? What's going on? Oh, yeah, so that is... Uh, so you did some acting. What'd you do? What'd you act in? I did some of the acting, man. I haven't been on stage for six years. Wow. Which was weird. And like about out of retirement. Yeah, man, off. literally out of retirement. I just never thought I'd do it again. Mask off. What were you acting in? I've been asked, I've been asked a few times, just like randomly, but I've been in the States, and the request have been in the UK, and I've always just said no, because I just sort of drew a line under it. And, um, but uh, not that I wasn't interested. I just was like, no, uh, that's, you know, I tried to sort of not look back, I guess, sort of thing, you know, not, I don't look back in anger, of course, obviously, but, um, look back full stop. Uh, but I, uh, I just got a text eight days ago from a friend of mine called Max Bennett, 
who was a very fine actor. Uh, but he was putting on a production of Much Ado About Nothing in a bishop's palace, talking of pontificating, uh, in a bishop's palace, a Catholic bishop's palace in Ireland. Oh. And he was like, oh. we're starting three days' time. You did a wee bit of acting, did you? Yeah. He uh, said, we start in three days' time. It's much to do about nothing. Would you play the part of Baraccio? You'd have to learn lines, and we have four days' rehearsal, and we have four shows. And I just had this weird moment of being like, you know, when you're one of those weird, you know, it's, I can't, you know, it's a slot, slot, the idea of serendipity, or, you know, it was just, it just sort of popped up, you know, out of the universe it came, and um, out of the text message from the telephone more specifically. And I just thought, maybe I should just do it, you know, because I've got, I've got a whole load of work on at the moment, but I've been sitting, tied myself to a desk, and my head is feeling like a mess and, and for all sorts of reasons. I just thought, I'm going to do something with other human beings where I'd just be doing this other thing and I won't have a chance to think about anything else might be really good for me. Yeah. And it also, and it also in the classic sort of, uh, I don't know what I was going to say, sort of therapy, therapy talk, speak, idea type thing, psychology type thing, it also made me feel frightened. I immediately was like, well, I can't do that. That's really frightening. Mm. And I thought, this is weird. I used to do that all the time. And I used to just think, yeah, I just, I wouldn't even think twice. I'd be like, yeah, sure. I would, fear wouldn't even come into it. You know, I just had that moment of being like, wow, that's weird. I feel frightened about that, which think, is exactly why, which is exactly why I must say yes. Do you, do you think there's <laughs> you know? uh, maybe something to, since, you know, you've been feeling more stuck on the play you're writing and maybe acting in another play can kind of, you know, help you help your perspective on writing a play a little. Just change things up. Oh, a maybe little bit. I do you know. What? I didn't definitely the change things up thing a little bit. Uh, not necessarily in terms of it would help me with the writing of the one I'm doing, but I thought it might help me in the right. It did occur to me that just doing something completely different in a concentrated fashion, where I won't mm-hmm. have any time to think about anything else but that, might just yeah. be really good for my brain. You know, to yeah, stop a little like, reset. Just, just, yeah, just like a little brain reset to go and do something completely out of context and in fact it felt perfectly out of context because it was like not even a full rehearsal period where you get to ponder about it too much like it's outside they're doing it in a week i've got four days rehearsal i just have to learn the lines turn up and just leap into it and rehearse all day and evening and then do the shows and then come back you know in a place i've never been in the middle of fucking nowhere island you know yeah i just thought it pretty much provides all of those contexts so yeah yeah but actually but not in exactly the way in terms of hey that will help me understand the themes or the subject matter or whatever i'm trying to grapple with i just thought Mm -hmm. it might be a good Yeah, just sort of brain active, a bit like playing a guitar for 20 minutes when you're revising yeah. for an exam when you're a teenager or whatever. You know what yep. I mean? Like a week-long version of that. So, yeah, I, I did think of it like that, yeah. I mainly thought of it in terms of, wow, I used to do that. I can't remember what it's like anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I had a very and I was like, similar thing, yeah. experience this past weekend with, like, I'm, I'm directing a music video, and I haven't done a narrative, creative thing in a while i've done you know like other than especially a video i haven't had a narrative creative video probably since college i've done almost solely documentary and like commercial stuff since college which is um i've worked on some other people's narrative stuff and like helped out and stuff but i haven't been in charge of like a narrative piece in a while and so i've been uh just like a little stressed about that and like yeah not stressed is stress is the wrong i'm just like kind of at a loss for like i'm like i have all these ideas and i'm like trying to figure things out and the other day i was like i have a lot of creativity built up right now but i don't think any of it can be channeled into anything yeah. because yeah, of yeah, just yeah. like i've had a weird summer i've had just like a lot going on and a lot of like anxiety and frustration and yeah, so and i just sat down and wrote a song energies, don't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah i just like sat down and started writing a song and i felt like that freed up a lot of it was like just a good like um like kind of flipping the you know like on a yeah, pressure cooker the at switch. the end of, yeah you that's know, really when interesting you're done pressure cooking you you vent it and like yeah 
um, it felt like that. It felt like I was just venting off yeah, a bunch you, of stuff. You have a log jam and you yeah. pull one log out, helps all the other logs start to move. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Like, I felt that's, yeah, that's a really good way to put because I felt that doing it for the week, because I was so preoccupied doing it, I was, it was just super busy because you have no time to put on the play. You know, it's a nightmare to play four days rehearsal, turn up with your line late. You know, so it was, and it went really well, but, you know, it was just rehearsing all day into the evening. There was like three meals a day and then you just went to sleep, you know, and yeah. then we, and there was no time out. But I, I guess I found by the time we were performing it, by the time we finished, I was traveling back on the on the train through Ireland and I got the ferry and uh, there was a sense of feeling like, it was like I cleared, if there was like strata or layers, you know, to, you know, sort of the creative energies or the stuckness or the blockness or whatever, I felt like I cleared some topsoil, you know? Yeah. yeah. I kind of like, I felt like, you know, I cleared a bit of the avalanche. You know, yeah. which is really good. I'm really glad I did. I felt like there was a sort of detritus of sort of some stagnant energies. You know, you got to weed the garden the, before you plant yeah, it. You know, yeah, exactly. So there was some. I did. It felt like weeding. Yeah, because I didn't get. You know, it was a short amount of rehearsal. I think it's probably fair to say it probably wasn't the most psychologically nuanced exploration of character that anyone's witnessed in performance. You know, but there was like a level of just sort of throwing yourself in and being physical. And I think I did yeah, shift some things, but on a sort of yeah top soil basis you know did a bit of weeding which was a good thing to do it's good to do some weeding yeah you know and i feel like i've come back and did good glad i did a bit of weeding but now i've got to get back to the task at hand and um yeah and i, I feel like it was helpful in that respect yeah yeah I'm, yeah i mean i'm i'm about to you know i think it's pretty interesting when these things happen where you know a, a few different like all of our things are all lined up that way that like because i've been in the same boat i've been doing a bunch of different creative projects all at once um, and like working part-time jobs and so like I haven't been able to really like focus on any, you know, writing this article for Iron and Air, uh, yeah. you know, working this new job at the Classic Car Club, trying to work on music, trying to, you know, all these different things. You know, me and Brandy are fixing to head to uh, Chateau La Salle outside of Burgundy in France for an artist residency for two weeks. And it's like, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and, you know, we're... We'll, you know, we'll be doing an episode of the podcast with them, uh, which is which is fun. But I'm I have to I just found out I have to play a show while I'm there, uh, which I haven't done in a, you know a long time. When it doesn't when it doesn't rain, it pours. Yeah, and so it's like you know so and then I'm also helping Brandy build you know this big installation there, and so I've been kind of viewing that as the same thing. It's like I've been focused so much on like how can I turn these creative pursuits that I'm doing into you know, how can I monetize them and like make money and survive? And part of that is how can I make these creative, how can I do better? You know, how can I do better at being a podcast host? How can I do better as a writer, as a performer, all these different things. And then now I feel like, all right, I'm going to leave the country. I'm going to leave New York. We're going to go out in the middle of this 900 acre chateau piece of property in France in the middle of nowhere with nothing to do, but prepare for a show and build an art installation out in the middle of the woods and yeah. it's like that, like, all right, my brain gets to, like, shift gears a, a little bit, but also just focus on one thing and yeah, stop and it's great to be in a different other things. Yeah, it's great to be in another place for that, I think. Yeah. Like, yeah. Being in Ireland for me, like, I don't know Ireland, but also, like, the the place itself, um, it was near a small town called Balagadrine. Balagadrine. And um, it was this old Bishop's Palace, up a track, you know, and the the people who put it on had only just moved in there a couple of months ago. And uh, But it felt genuinely really isolated, like the countryside around it is very flat. It's in an area of the country, in a county called Roscommon, which is just south of Sligo, and I think near Galway as well. And um, 
and it was super, but it had that sense of feeling very isolated and very contained you know it's like yeah and you didn't really leave the property you just went there so it felt like being a, we were all saying for all the actors there were just like wow it's like a bit of a weird dream you're like when did we when were we here yeah <laughs> well like, that's are we here you know that's, what's happening you know that sounds exactly like what we're walking i mean this these two girls uh which you know podcast listeners you will hear uh, a fuller story of this because we're going to be interviewing these two gals um and but yeah i mean they're restoring this however many hundreds of years old you know chateau it's like a, and it's a castle I mean, the thing is massive on this chateau. Yeah. huh chateau. chateau on this huge piece of property that's in the middle of nowhere and so we're quite literally going to be like i mean it's going to uh, you know the, all the photos that i see are like this place is going to it's so isolated and you're at a castle and so it's like you know it is like this kind of like almost fairy tale scene that you're like getting stuck in with oh, no man. view of the outside world you know yeah yeah uh, no i think but i think i think what i meant by that what's beneficial about it is that in a way that i don't think is totally conscious that you as in you don't consciously react you don't kind of go i'm going to make some choices about this but i think your mind and body or you know the the, the combination of those things what it is i think it because it, it's so different and separate but contained and also for me like we were being looked after there were three meals a day and we had a bedroom each you know yeah. to help support that it was almost a bit like being on retreat you know in that respect that your mind just kind of i think organizes starts towards starts to organize itself around these new components you know and probably starts being like oh this is different you know i can't you know and it shifts you into a very different gear you know, I think it does it beyond your conscious understanding. It starts to sort of go, oh, well, I have to do this thing. I have to sort of put that away for a bit now, and I can only concentrate on that. Or, you know, I tried to think about things that were bugging me the week before when I was there, and it was like I couldn't. You know, yeah, yeah. It was like I couldn't. I couldn't even quite engage with them. I was like, yeah, I know that's something I need to think about. You know, literally, I found myself going, yeah, I need to think about that thing, and I was kind of dimly aware that only four days ago it was like causing me a lot of grief. Yeah, but I just it just couldn't somehow. When I was there, you know, yeah, well, you I was like, like, I need to learn the words. So I'm at five, scene three. And yeah. also look at the weird bishop's tower that's there. And yeah, that's... I'm in a seaweed bath. You know, it was like I couldn't I had a seaweed bath, by the way. How was that? Uh, Do you feel uh, aligned and energized? What are your chakras like? Yeah, dude. My chakras, How's that cheese, uh, son? Yeah, my, my chakras are pretty slimy after the seaweed bath, actually. Slimy <laughs> chakras. I am... Uh, they, uh, it was very good. You went to this place. It was just by the coast. The only time we left the property, we went for the seaweed bath and um, on the uh, west coast of Ireland. We went there, and it was a sort of stormy day. And it's this place where they have you just go, and they literally fill a big iron bathtub with hot water, piping hot water, and a shit ton of seaweed. And it starts to dissolve in the hot water when you're in it. Mm. So you kind huh. of get covered in like seaweed slime. Mm. And they they really encourage you to like rub it in your face and your hair, sexy, seaweedy. Yeah, see, in fact, it's supposed to be really good for your skin, and that was extraordinarily relaxing. Did you get in but there in one the guy, nude? One guy, come, one guy, yeah, totally in the nud, man, a full on nud, Whoa, full on, <laughs> and uh, yeah, full on muddy nudy in that seaweed cheeky. bath. It was, oh yeah, it's cheeky. Like, cheeky seaweed bath. It's that was it's that seaweed in your pocket. You just no, it's, yeah, actually, it's just get your pocket. cheeks, your cheeks, a little cheeky. Yeah, yeah, totally. It was all like a little mermaid action going on in there, and I um, but it was weird because actually it was hilarious because we all came out being like, "Wow, that was amazing." There's one guy called Tom Company, like he was like, "Might have had an allergic reaction." His face was covered in spots. Oh no! Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was like, oh, "That's not what I came for. That's not what I said." That was that not way. relaxing. Yeah, but no, it was. Yeah, the seaweed bath was very, very um. But you know, it was just like sensory experiences like that, kind of like mm -hmm. kind of knock you into different places. Yeah. You know. 
It was well, all quite dream, dreamy in that respect, dreamlike and odd. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, yeah, whenever you go somewhere, I mean, it was that way, you know, we went to, you know, we went to Nicaragua last year for the same kind of thing, like artist residency, uh, right after, mm-hmm. you know, I had, I had essentially quit my job at Matt Umanov's and, you know, I was horribly stressed out, very anxious about what to do next. But then you go to this other place where you have no connections to your regular world. And so yeah. like, there's nothing for those things to really anchor to because there's nothing that reminds you like there was no time while I'm there that was like, oh, that whatever this thing made me think of this thing in New York that I'm stressed out about. It was all just yeah. like I'm eating, you know, I'm eating whatever. I don't know. Papayas with chicken and lobster, you know? Yeah. And like, while well, a bunch of howler monkeys are screaming at me like this has nothing to do with my regular life. Like, you know, I can only focus on these things that I'm looking at because it's all brand new. Yeah, you know, it's like I can't be yeah. stressed out. I if think I'm that, ripping dirt bikes on it, volcanoes. Yeah. You know, I do think it's a short-term reaction. Like, I don't think out of sight, out of mind is true. No, but if you um, go somewhere for a week or two, yeah, it, it's it works. A week or two because yeah, it's totally. all new for that yeah, amount of yeah, time. Exactly. So, I mean, when I first came to New York, I was having like a deeply stressful time, and I was weird, but I was finding New like London very odd and weird, and I just wanted to go somewhere else. I wanted to live. So I've, I always wanted to go and live somewhere else, and I was like, now's the time. I've got to do it, and I knew it was really important. That I did it, but you know, uh, you take. I mean, I firmly believe. You know, some people are like, oh, you run away from things. I just don't think that's true. You just take yourself with you. Like a short period of time, you'll get a certain amount of what we just talked about, which is really useful in terms of resetting and recalibrating. Yeah. But I also think that if you then extend your stay, life, living situation somewhere which is completely different from where you're from or where lots of things have been happening for you, difficult or positive, that eventually those things re-arise because they have to because you're well, there. You yeah, know what I mean? Well, you, you but, acclimate. But, but, yeah, you acclimate. But yeah. I do – I think that the re-acclimatization, is that a word? It's a word now. Sure. Um, but, um, re-acclimatizing. Re-acclimatizing to um, somewhere that I, – I definitely, definitely think – so my experience of being in the States was that I found that I gained new perspectives on things that I couldn't see clearly um, from home yeah. because you have a certain amount of distance and those things in yourself re-arise you know anything that's going on in you will come back up after a certain period of time after you've acclimatized but you but having a certain amount of distance or being in new sensory environments or something I think often is actually really beneficial for longer periods of time even yeah. you know and I, I feel like sometimes when I've said that some people don't believe me you know they're like man surely not but I think that's a real truism you know and that actually when you do then return to somewhere that sometimes you, you you maintain that um distance isn't right the quite word because you're still close to those things but you've your perspective on them is valuably changed as a result yeah. of being i i i've just in my own experience definitely think that like i'm not sure you necessarily attain the value of that unless you do something like that mm-hmm. you know i'm sure you can there's a different way of moving through one's life and in a struggles and whatnot whilst always being in the same spot and that's also, I'm sure, equally valid. You know, it's not better or worse, but I think that going somewhere else for that longer period of time, extending it through, you know, on our transatlantic tip, I think that you can, that extends into a very interesting headspace, I think, whereby you start to gain really valuable and interesting perspectives on the sense of self you were in a place previously, you know? Yeah. You guys I, ever in, uh, in experience anything similar to that? New yeah. York, I guess there must be um, New York to Alabama for you, God. Yeah, I mean, New yeah. York to Alabama, I mean, the... 
you know, I, I moved to Wyoming for three months when I was in college, which I think was just long enough. Yeah, to, you've like, mentioned that before. Yeah, yeah, you know, like to get acclimated to, you know, because even a place like Wyoming from Alabama is, I mean, it's as different to Alabama as, I mean, short of, you know, like we'll say like Ireland. I mean, like people speak the same language, but it's a whole different world. And so the whole, you know, for the first couple months I'm there, I'm like, this is so new you know and brandy was in brazil at the time so like that was my big stressor right and mm. after about you know so i had plenty of things to be distracting because i'm like you know while i'm at work i'm like having to think like is am i being stalked by a cougar you know like there was just these new things that i was like i had to think about um that i never otherwise had to think about they're a bunch of sexy older ladies looking out for young boys in the that's exactly what it is <laughs> you, get out, you get out in the woods and outside of lander wyoming yeah. and it's rife with 40 year old babes yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, but you know, survivalist forty-year-old babes. Let's right. let's be honest. That's right. right. Yeah, yeah. Very very crunchy forty-year-old babes. Rapture um, rapture obsessed um, prepper, crunchy prepper survivalist exactly. Cougars uh, <laughs> in those woods. But yeah, I mean, types. I definitely got to a place where I acclimated, and you know, it, you know, at least to some extent, and to where I was like, I, I made a bunch of big decisions that I was going to enact when I went home like because I, I had enough time to really think about those things but separately from you know separately from where i could do anything about them how was the follow-through mm. on this good oh good yeah i mean most I of the things were. were like i mean one of them was like uh about like i wanted to start like actively think about getting married and so how like that go? you know i did it okay um <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of things. Uh, you know, like I decided that's when I decided I'm going to I mean, it's a small thing, but symbol symbolically large for me was after about 4 years I was like there. I was like, "You know what? I go home, I'm going to cut all my hair off. I'm going to start over again when I go home." And I did that. Uh yeah, I did some I did some stuff. It was good. Yeah. It's it good. Leaving it's good. In somewhere somewhere David Crosby shed a single tear. Oh yeah! Don't think I didn't listen to that song a <laughs> I lot. Almost cut my hair. Yeah, dude, I felt ashamed every time. I can't listen to that song anymore. I felt ashamed when I heard that song after I cut my yeah. hair short too. Do you, how old do you know I that done song? It while you, I did it. While no, what's you the song? No, I don't know. Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Yeah, you did it Which, while in Wyoming. Uh, when I was in Wyoming. Yeah. Which Crosby, one? Uh, it's called "Almost Cut My Hair." Um, the I think the first line is, "I almost cut my hair. It happened just the other day." Uh, it's getting kind of long. I could have said it, it wasn't, wasn't my, my way, way, but, but I, didn't, I didn't, and I wonder, wonder why. why. Just had to uh, let my, my freak, freak flag fly. fly. It's like a protest song. I guess I did uh, it for some. What's the? Uh, let my freak flag fly, and I feel like I owe it, owe it to, to someone. someone. Yeah, he felt like he owed it to someone. Yeah, man. But my response to him was. David Crosby ain't never had long hair in the Alabama heat. <laughs> like, listen, yeah. man, when that hair touches True. the back of your head and it's 98 degrees and it's 99% on. humidity, make you want to stab somebody. Yep. Mm. It's true. They did. There was a little part of me that was like, <laughs> man, I guess I'm not like a rebel anymore, you know? Yep. But then you listen to I'm Not My Hair by uh, NDIRE, yeah. you know, and you get all picked up right over again. Mm -hmm. That's the way it works. That's right. That's right. How old? Do you ever have really long hair? Yeah, man. You did. I'd hair down to my shoulders until I was like twenty. 
Wow. I mean, and we all know how fresh-faced I am. A fresh-faced 30 Yeah, you're, you're mm, fresh-faced. Yeah. I, I mean, I swear to God, I have a shave. I get ID'd straight up, which was all very well and good up until like my mid-30s. I was like, hey, I still look young, but now I'm like 37, 30. I'm just like, that's how it feels. I'm not sure if I want to look 24, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if, I, if I decide to actually put a razor on my face. Um, but, yeah, when I was like 18, 19, 20, Actually, when did, yeah, just before my twentieth birthday was when I cut it off. I'd hair down on my shoulders, and um, and I didn't. Even, I had probably had about three hairs on my chinny chin chin. I straight up, I was a babe, man. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would have dudes would crack onto me, and I'd be like, "No, guys, sorry." Yeah. Um, I had like long <laughs> hair, luscious, long, lovely, long. luscious, straight hair. Yep. Yeah, totally. And I was a bit of a sort of um, you know, hippy dippy type uh, kid at the time. And um, I will. I can't say I washed it that often. I'll be honest with you. Is that right? Didn't wash that hair very much. It was a bit stinky. I think mm. you know. Mm. Stinky when I was a teenager. Can't that do that. Cool. No, uh, if you're so. going to have it out, you got to keep that junk clean. You know. I mean, I could, but you know, the thing, the defining moment was I got to university, I got to college, and uh, in my first semester, first term, as we would say over here, first term of university, first term, first term. I uh, lasted most of the first term with my long hair, and then towards the end of the first term, um, I got really drunk in the... So this is going to be a thing for you American listeners. Of course, we can drink at 18, right? It's a little mm. digression oh, yeah. here. So I was just about to say, in the student bar, which is something you guys probably don't recognize, because in the halls, in the dorms in British colleges, you have bars. Wow. All right. Yeah. Because no. you can drink, and it's obviously majorly subsidized by the student union, so it's nothing like... Two bucks a pint, yeah. a pound a pint, yeah. And um, so I was really steamingly cheeky, drunk. cheeky, cheeky, yeah. steamingly cheekily drunk. Um, pissed. This was this was a time before Nando's. Uh, we um, uh, got I got so drunk, and I was lit. I was on in a you know a part of the state, and my friend Ben said to me, "We're going to cut your hair off," and I said, "No, please don't cut my hair off." And he went, we're going to curl your hair off. And I was like, okay. Wow. <laughs> that's how just, that's how it went. Just just as long as you stop shouting at me. <laughs> and um, I think secretly deep down, I just wanted to cut it off, you know. Yeah. And then mm. he, cut, he cut all my hair off. Someone got some clippers, like, next to the bar, and everyone was cheering him on. And then, like, some sort of, like, trophy, they tied all my hair up in a, like, a, in a you know, bound it and tied it. And they hung it above the bar. And it stayed up there for like several months. Wow! And yeah, after all, people but... were like, "Some people were like, that shit stinks, man. You gotta take that weird yeah. like, lump of house hair down." And um, but the thing that made me not want to ever grow my hair long again was because up until that point, I've been in college for like three or four months, and not a single time had I kissed a girl at college. Mm. And then I cut my hair off. Oh yeah! In a matter of days. I was still trying to kiss a girl. You were snogging, <laughs> snogging the, the birds. I got, I got a couple of cheeky snogs in. You know, when yeah. you're 19 years old, that's like big time, right? And yeah. um, but it was for me anyway. I'm a naive and innocent young person as I was back then. Still am, in many ways. Um, but you know, that was the lesson. I was just like, what am I doing? And I, th- I have a distinct memory. One of those, I think, I think I might even be the first girl that I kissed at college, whose name was Kate, said to me, "You should never have long hair." <laughs> she was like, "Never." Dude, have long hair it's ever an, again, mate. And I was like, a, okay. It's an amazing thing. Yes, womankind. I listen to you, the voice of womankind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. After I, you know, I had long hair. I did not touch it. Not one trim, not nothing from the day I graduated high school till after Wyoming, which was about 
what, three years, four years? Yeah. Something like that. And so, I mean, I'd had long hair for a very long time. I mean, mine was long, like past my Yeah, I first long. met you, it was long, man. Yeah, You were yeah. like bearded and long-haired when I first met you in Matt Umanoff Guitar Shops. Yeah, that's You're right. You are like the ultimate beardy long hair as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and after I had for, you know, years having very long hair, I cut it off, and then everybody comes out of the woodwork. Oh, my God, you look so much better with short hair. Never have long hair again. I'm like, it's what this – I mean, I'm, of course, I was dating Brandy at the time, so I wasn't caring about – females that much mm. but i'm like so this whole time y'all thinking i'm out here looking like trash and now <laughs> you tell, tell me you. well you can't tell somebody hey you sure look you like can it's a haircut she's like yo dude you yeah, didn't cut your right. hair. It is a haircut. and then you can just be like oh word all right i mean not that i would have done it but it would have been nice to know <laughs> yeah you know like it's not like if well, someone maybe was like they don't know maybe they think what happens if you cut your hair and then you're just like oh no nope, still ugly you know what I mean? Well, you know, well, you realize. So in high school, uh, you know, I, I, we had a, a a dress code at our high school, and I could not have men men's hair couldn't touch their shoulders. So I had mine perpetually hanging just above my shoulders. Quarter. He was. You were so close to that. You were just like quarter inch above the shoulders. At oh all yeah, times. at like, all it times. Was just like technically not touching. It was your that was my rebellion for sure. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching yeah, you. It was like that. And uh, and there's the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law. <laughs> yeah, there was this very mean girl named. I want to think about it. What's her name? Can I? I can't remember. I, I will remember. Uh, Melanie. No, no, it wasn't a Melanie. I think it started with a K. Anyways, um, she. I I I ended up like having to cut it. My parents finally were like, all right, you have to like get a, a a real haircut. So I, you know, it got cut shorter. You know, like by a good bit. And word got around that she said, "This is a direct quote. I've never, I've, I've never, uh, I've never forgotten this, Mean Girl, wherever mm-hmm. you are." She said, "Oh man, it's a shame Pete cut his hair. I used to think he was good looking. Now I can, now that I can see his face, <laughs> he looks like a horse. Oh boy, <laughs> a horse." Yeah. Shadow facts. But so now, but here's the weird thing. Now I can thing. see shadow his face. Facts. He looks like shadow but facts. I've been I've been told that since then, as Mike more grown and people, because you know I've got a big nose. Listeners who don't who don't know, um, big but I've 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 like pre uh, since then I finally like the way I dealt with those wounds was I've had people say that to me and I'd be like, no, actually, like I have I take that as endearing. Like I like it because I think horses are cool. And I, I circled it back around. And then you hear people like, no, no, I mean that in a good way. And I'd be like, you do? Because I've been uh-huh. only told that once before, and it was very mean. Yeah. Some ladies like a horse face. My wife likes a horse face. Dude, horses I are, mean. Horses are beautiful either. animals. Yeah. yeah, horses are beautiful animals. And a long, Thanks, aquiline, guys. The, a long aquiline face. Yeah, I appreciate perfect that. perfect symmetry is something to be cherished. Yeah. Yeah. When people are like call somebody a dog or something like that, I'm like, is that really an insult? Because everybody like, loves dog face. I love my dog. My yeah. dog's cute. Everybody like, loves him. He's great. You know, who's got a dog face? You saying you have a dog face? Called? No, I'm just saying that some people say that, like you know, face like a dog in an insult. Yeah, like no, particularly. Like, we talking like a golden retriever face. puppy? Because yeah, you'd be cleaning yeah, up if like, that were the case. Like, if if you're saying that this girl has a face like a dog, and you yeah, you mean like a golden retriever puppy? Like, all right, and that's the bet. Like, yeah, so she's Cindy she, Crawford. So she has I don't a know. Great face, yeah. like a face that like you'll do anything for. Is yeah. that what you mean? Yeah, I mean, let's oh, so if Pete, that launches Pete, a thousand ships. If Pete is saying that he's happy to look like a horse, yeah. also, what animal would you say that you're happy to look like, or you think maybe you? Close I'm looking something? at myself right now. And I'm trying to figure it out. 
have you, do, you have an, you. do you have an do you have an anthropomorphized uh, face? Uh, or you know, not an anthropomorphized. That's probably the wrong. Yeah, yeah. Right, well, an, no, I think that, it may be a sort of reverse anthropomorphism because anthropomorphism yeah. is when you put human traits onto animals, and we're putting animal yeah. traits onto humans. So it's phonopromorphism. bestialomorphism. That sounds that sounds like that's something that's illegal, man. I don't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um uh, yeah, what what do you think is there one that I think that I look like? Is that what we're asking? Um well I'm quite tall and gangly. Yep. Um I have quite a long neck. And uh giraffe. Maybe maybe a giraffe or a meerkat. How about yeah, meerkat? meerkat? Oh, I can see meerkat. meerkat. That yeah. works. I like meerkats. There's yeah, or, 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 Mike, or like in the uh, you could go like a I'm mongoose. Up a I'm actually looking at a meerkat now, and I think if we're going to have a show image, we should have one of each of our animals. And I think this one, the top animal for a meerkat, is definitely the one we should use. He looks really. I, I like the look of this guy. I can well, see myself in them. Send it over. Because I also I have a picture of me. Send it. Uh, I think it may have been Carly Palmer actually, who when we were at your house after I've taken this thing and and made it something I like. I was standing next to your horse. Which one was I standing next to? <laughs> Bella? Bella or Poco? Maybe Bella. Yeah. Um, and I'm like standing right next to it, like face to face. And she was like, man, you look a lot like that horse. And I was like, thanks. And she was like, yeah, no, I think it's good. Yeah. And we, I have a picture with me and that horse very like, you know, looking at each other. I can post that. How you'll post. We'll, we'll send us one of the meerkat you like. Now, see, Bob. Yeah. He really looks like me. Let's see this guy. He looks like me. He's got he's got deep penetrating eyes. This might not be the right picture to look at to to determine something. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Well, I You'd found out. Well, it. the opposite of anthropomorphism is quite simply zoomorphism. So oh, we're talking uh, about our, zoom, we our zoomorphic, zoomorphic, zoomorphic equivalencies. Our zoomorphic equivalencies is I mean, assigning a, a person event or deity with an animalistic characteristic. So how you have like jowls, sort of like there's like a jowly look. Jowly Howley, as some people you know, call me. Like maybe fact, there's yeah. like a, uh, I don't know. There might be some like. I am quite jowly. Well, I'm quite jowly at the moment because I think I'm a little bit overweight. I'm, I'm, I'm well, but totally about my jowls. there's 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 something to me a jowl jowl is like like Mel Gibson is the same thing. Like there's lines. Oh, like on the cheek, on yeah, the yeah. yeah. Kind of outline your mouth. Yeah, there's a certain people. Is that, that what you mean that. by jowl? That's what I mean. I don't know yeah. if that's the right word, but I like think a jowl is like uh, the jowl. I think was like it's a bit like the um that bit fat cheeks cheeks. It's like the bit that hang down under the underneath the jawline. You know the sort of flabby bits. Oh like no no chicken. no, that's not what I think. Of. I think of like the outline of the mouth, like like dimples, but just right outside. Oh the yeah, mouth. the lines, the lines of the mouth. It like outline. highlights cheeks mm-hmm. and like cheekbone. That's what yeah. I think of. I don't know if that's the correct cheeky. usage of jowl, but that's what I think of. Cheeky, cheeky, cheeky. Yeah. Quite Dimply. cheeky. Dimply. Oh cheeky. yeah, this is a good. Uh, this oh, picture dude. is yeah. very howl. This meerkat here. Yeah, yeah. yeah I like yeah. that. You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Totally. Yep. You know, think about when There's sometimes something you in the brow me, line. You say sometimes when you guys go roll, and then I turn towards you and go roll. Yeah, it's, it's like, like the the zygomatic arches on the meerkat and yours mirror each other. Yeah. Quite, quite beautifully. Totally, totally. Um. Right, we're gonna have to figure yours out, see Bob. Yep. I mean, it's I like a, I'm like uh, some form of stick insect as well. That's also possible. But um... I mean, I feel like people are automatically <laughs> with me going to go like gorilla or bear or yeah, something. but, see, but that's, that's just like large. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that doesn't. Not, that doesn't like, count, oh, big and hairy, like a gorilla or a bear. Yeah, no, like, no. no. I I think 
I don't think so at all. I, I think there's like I think there's more of like the jowly thing makes me think of like hound, like, yeah, like a like mm-hmm. that kind of dog. What about a seal? Or like a sea a lion. Seal. No, but you have but a you really you you have small nose. You, like a you have a small yeah. nose. But out. seals don't stick that way out. Just sea lions. Oh yeah, I guess that's true. There's a maybe whale. Maybe like a whale. Yes, maybe like, or a, like whale. a like a pilot whale. What sort of whale? Like a pilot? Yeah, K- killer whale. An orca a killer whale. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I could Very see that. I could see you as a as a whale. I'm not quite sure. When I think of whale faces, though, that's not. I can see the it's horse face. It's got to be a toothed whale. Mm-hmm, for mm-hmm, sure mm-hmm. yeah you, i'm thinking just because of the eye like i put I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in on eye position right now or like a basking shark maybe see i was thinking it's more sharky than whaley okay that's yeah it's going yeah yeah yeah. Uh, yeah, bull yeah, shark basking, uh, yeah or basking uh, shark, like a rounder but... nose like a not an overly pointy a great white a basking, yeah. yeah basking shark they're big animals they, they just sort of float through they've got big old mouths yeah basking shark Hmm. They just they just float along with their mouth open. Is there an animal eating, eating plankton? They're is there an plankton. animal that is foreheady? You have a you have a big forehead. You have a lot of forehead. I got a, I've got more forehead now than when I started. But yeah. yeah, well, but even still, just your there's a lot of surface area. Even like width wise, there's just a lot of forehead. I mean, orangutans. Yeah, orangutans have a lot of face, man. Actually, do you know? Do you know? I think we've got the winner. Is a porpoise. A porpoise is the, ah. is the big four-headed. They do um, have a lot of four. They do have a lot of forehead. For, uh, for and, and, they're, and they're toothy beasts. Yep. Yeah, they are. I'm, quite toothy I'm good beasts. with that. I like them. I feel like I have a connection to them. They're always every time we go out on Let's my see. dad's boat. Oh uh, yeah. Well, I can get down. Yeah. I can get down with that. There we go. <laughs> stick bug. <laughs> Look at that guy. <laughs> definitely a stick bug. This is this is this great piece of audio content. Yeah. This is incredible Listeners, audio listen. content. <laughs> we're gonna listen, y'all. We're gonna put the guys. We're gonna put the relevant links. So yeah, the relevant yeah. links will be up there. From, you already know from looking, yeah. at the um at the podcast that the relevant like, just from choosing it, you're gonna see the relevant links for all of these animals. Are yes. there and I I would like to note the girl that told me originally that made the mean horse comment. I've actually had a lot of. She's dead now. Yeah, no, she <laughs> looks like a cartoon. That's like I don't know how else to explain it, but yeah. everything is t- too big. Like her eyes are too big, her mouth is like, everything is cartoonish. And then she's like got an like anime stick, character, stick sort of. neck, stick legs, stick. Yeah, arms. yeah, yeah. Uh, and actually, if while we're on this tip, her torso is the, just an oval. The the very first girl, uh, actually, no, this is the second girl that I exp- like I expressed uh, that I you know had an interest in in fourth grade. Um, she. I, I went up to her and I said, hey, you know, I think you're really cute or whatever I said. And uh, she told me, ooh, your eyebrows look like caterpillars. Whoa, yeah, son. And walked away. That was into that. Again, oh, now eyebrows man. are something that, I, you know, I've, I've taken these, this, this harm inflicted on me by, uh, by the ladies and just have made them my, my proudest well, and features. Full eyebrows are really in right now, too. Yeah, well, take that. Thank you for the sir. That right. was her name, and that was That's her name. Intense. That was harsh. Muffle, muffle, that is... <laughs> <laughs> Old muffle. She did grow up to be a babe, though. <laughs> That's what sucks, dude. Like she, and just... she's probably she's got together with a man with very small eyebrows. You know, That's still very definitely, alive. yeah, definitely has. I haven't seen her in, in years and years and years, but she she definitely grew up to be super hot. So but she's not with a a co-host of a fourth-rate podcast, though. True. 
No, she's that's not. Damn sure. Probably not. I mean, the numbers would suggest that. I don't even th- say that's, we're a third rate. That's just unlikely. Yeah, it is probably third rate. I'll take that's that. That's what I'll say. I'll I don't know what the rating that. system is, but I'd say we're a third rate. Yeah, yeah. We're working on second rate. Yeah, we're, we're not working there on yet. That. We'll get our promotion from the podcast admiral to you here soon. Yeah. Dude, Hal is just, listeners, Hal is just sending us buku links of animals. Most of them are <laughs> stick bugs. I'm sending you the relevant links so people can see I these like images, the, man. I like the meerkat better, though. I think the, like facially it works better. Yeah. And know, there's something in the, the coloration of the hair, too, that's nice. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I don't I agree. like that. It's a sort of fair brown, isn't it? A sort of chestnutty. Yeah. Yeah. I feel very attuned to the meerkat. <laughs> how how is uh speaking of your your hiatus from writing how's the play going man um, i'm about halfway through it and um you I've feel like it's coming better like i have a was. deadline in about three and a half weeks is my deadline three and a half yeah three and a half weeks i think it is actually uh, it's around that so just under a month um it's coming i, I just i'm i'm, I'm quite oh, to, to bore you senseless with it once again um I think I'm about, I'm kind of written to a point. It's like, if you'll, you know, bear with me for a second. It's like I've written to a point in the story whereby I'm kind of indicating that something big is going to happen, you know, yeah. which all like a couple of the characters are kind of eminently aware of like what it, what it's going to be and how it's going to, but I don't, you know, so I'm like, yep. wow, what is this thing that's, what? You're I mean, that sounds a bit odd because it. some writers might be listening to this and being like, you fool. Didn't you think about this in advance? Which is a fair question, but I just don't, I have a sort of wider structural idea about the play, like, and the sort of broad theme and sort of broad story arc I'm going for. But um, I also tend to write, discover as I write, and that's quite important for me because you sort of, it, it feels fresh in that way. You know, you surprise yourself and you're sort of listening in for who the characters are and what they have to say. You know, you can't, plan those things too much in advance i don't think you discover those what those voices are as you go and um and rather peculiarly i've sort of got to this point whereby that sort of shift has to happen in the narrative but i just feel like i don't know what it is someone has to enter the door with a gun yeah it's that sort of thing yeah kind of but it feels almost so it feels sort of bigger than that a bit hard to describe in a um someone enters the door with a bomb um, yeah the one the weird thing is there's like three storylines running through it there's the story of the creation of the Wales Window, which is the historic true story. So I know a lot all about that. I've done my homework. But it's interlinking with a modern storyline, which is fictional, but touching on, you know, uh, true stuff, factional things, as you might say. Uh, and then a, a completely fictional sort of ancient mythic storyline about um, Prince Maddock, you know, and the legend right therein, thereof. Uh, so it's weird, but the way that I'm trying to write it is that they all interlink and chime off each other, you know, in a sort of long arc of history sort of way. And so I can't just plug ahead with the one bit I'm really so- certain about because I feel like the way that they are intersecting uh, is... Uh, kind of informing how it progresses and that the thing i just talked about the block you know the thing that feels stuck or i haven't quite discovered is in the two is in the modern and in the old one not in the uh the historic story that i've done my homework on so yeah so i'm in a funny sort of place with it where i feel i've been feeling a little bit stuck in the mud but no i'm just sort of trying to be not too stressed trying to meditate on it a bit you know what i mean just and hopefully the week i've just had away as you said pete before has maybe shifted a bit of the the magma to provide a bit more movement. How I'm about to throw down an ultimatum right now. 
Yeah, man. The old now. tomato. If you don't cast Peter and I as some of the bannermen, as some of the sworn swords of Prince Maddock in oh, your dude. play, you are <laughs> fired. Yeah, you, you are fired for real. Fired. Yeah. You'd have to speak Welsh. Can you do that? I'll learn it. Yeah. People people <laughs> learn languages for movies, for all, movies the time. all the time. Yeah. Yeah, man. I believe you well, guys what about can do it. How much Welsh any... do we need? We don't yeah. even need speaking parts, like for real. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I can have like one little part where I just say like Dunshvi. Uh, you know, <laughs> whatever that means. You just stand at the edge of the stage. Yeah. Draig, flow, and... Cymru and Brith. Cymru and Brith. See? Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. So I you, say... you probably noticed a turn in my voice dipping down towards melancholy, just even beginning <laughs> to talk about it again. It's been with me for such a long time. This, uh, our, our dear friend, uh, Glennie Brock, who we've mentioned in many an episode for that you are listening for the Your first time or more recent uh, listeners, Glennie Brock, um, journalist, extraordinaire theatre. Um, uh, I was about to say owner, but she's not the owner. She helps run a Preservator. Theatre Preservator. Conservator. Uh, in Birmingham. Conserv- preservator and Conservator and Originator uh, in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, she has a very funny... Um, uh, turn a phrase for me in this ridiculous play. She calls it my great burden. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> she texts me and she goes, "She goes, how is the great burden? How is your great burden?" This is and, like uh, Winston Churchill's Black Dog. This mm-hmm. is yeah, like something bird, that you should write. Too. You should write it in your. If you keep a journal, you should journal it as your great burden. That way, when people write the biographies of the life of Howell John in a hundred years, there will be. Uh, they'll understand they, they might not even understand what the great burden is yeah that'll be the title of the biography it'll be the great howell burden, john's great life burden. in the theater <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um of course glennie has her own great burden which is why she's which is why she's using it for mine she's working on this other a very long book um herself but and uh and we actually have this running correspondence now where she will tell me of other writers with great burdens that she's discovered <laughs> she'll be like i met this guy called steve he, he too has a great burden. I'm always literally like, what's his great burden? And then she'll tell me about it. I'm just like, wow, fucking Jesus Christ, man. Steve's great burden seems insane. Why is he even trying? You know, and that's really the point of the discussion is always why we do we put ourselves through these burdensome activities? You know, what is what is the point of it? <laughs> you know, why? Just to, mm-hmm. just to carry the weight, you know? Yeah, just to carry oh, the weight, you man. you got to carry the weight. We can't sing any more of it, or no, we have to have somebody. <laughs> but there's, I think there is there's something there's there's something to be said about it though, which is I think in a funny sort of way, the idea of like having these great missions or something like that is that if you were to finish them, then there wouldn't be in your life anymore. And then yeah, what man. would you do? You got to mm. move on to the next burden, man. You got to have a new you great burden. Don't get hung up on one burden at a time. Yeah. yeah, it's true. This is true, and I often feel like I have many burdens. Um, yeah, I'm right there with that. I wish I, I, I wish I didn't like as many things as I liked. You yeah. think that would make my life easier? Because then they become burdensome. But variety well, is the spice of life, as somebody said. But it was just like you know, if I only did like two things, that's something you can get. You can get good at two things. Yeah, it's real hard to get good at like six things. I know, yeah. but I would like to. I know, me too. If you were, are you I, a multi-hyphenate? It's our great burden. Yeah. What does that mean? Um, as in a multi-hyphenate is someone who does many things, as in... Oh, 100%. Yeah, I'm like an actor slash model slash whatever, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah, I am, and I hate it. I don't. I wish I could just be like, I am a musician. But I'm just like, no, I'm a podcaster. I don't a hate it. I'm I only hate writer. how hard it is to get good at all of the things. Well, I you know, find... I'm like, 
I think it makes you. I really want I think to it makes people things. take you less seriously when you list yeah. too many things. I honestly, do. I yeah, think people be like, "Oh, you're someone, not serious." If you're talking to someone in real life, yes, but I, there are a lot of people who I think are very successful who do multiple things very at a at a pretty good level. Yeah, well, it's a lot easier. It's it's well once once you get successful at one of them, like. You know I, that whatever that means. The reason why people don't take those people seriously is because I we are the same. Like people who are interested a lot of th- in a lot of things have a tendency to get overwhelmed with how much interest they have, and then tend to not do mm-hmm. any of them. Yes. So I think, if, yes, I think exactly if you're right. a if you're a musician, podcaster, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and you make a committed effort to just do each one of those things, no one's going to be upset with you. No, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just it's or it's, no one's going to not take yeah. you seriously. That's like that's a big point of uh, what's the word? Um, like it's a it's it has become Shame. like a self esteem issue of mine. Of like I feel I feel like mm. uh, you know like like I'm not taken seriously because I do too many things or I'm attempting yeah. to do too many things or trying to well, learn. Mate, too many New York things. City, as any of our fair listeners will know, is a place where you can do many things and no one's going to judge you for it. Like, you know, other parts of the world, not so much, you know. <laughs> like, yeah. I swear to God, I really noticed it coming back to the UK. Obviously, this is a generalization, not all people like that, but you definitely pick up more over here. I think it's particularly the English, <laughs> you know, the pesky English, or a particular sort of, you know, there's always a bit of like, hmm, jack of all trades, master of none, eh? You know, yeah. as in if you don't do something, just the one thing, or you don't do it yeah. properly to a certain degree whatever proper means you know yeah um then there's a there's oh, a certain John's over here hosting a podcast bit of a reach huh a bit of a reach eh um but you know Stay there's, there's lane. Oh, you always feel like you pick up on a slight sort of um it's like tall poppy syndrome you know that people like to cut down the tallest poppy i always yeah. feel like the i always feel brits are like particularly good at that um what you know, mean, like, like, because they, they don't like people getting too above themselves and that is yeah. a that is a sentiment i can definitely engage with you know yeah, because yeah, yeah. everyone no one can but no one likes pomposity you know yeah and um, it's something that i think a lot of brits struggle with like that's one of the big differences between the two countries i think is that the sort of absolutely shameless like full-on or full-blooded american sense of like celebrating individualistic success mm-hmm. is i think having spent time in the states a really amazing thing yeah, you know, mm-hmm. um, but I think people in the uh, in 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 most cases, I would say there are sometimes where it definitely, you know, it can veer full on into like celebratory narcissism, and um, as we've all seen, look at the current president. But you yeah. just, you know, but in, yeah. um, but there is a sense of just, you know, the sort of unashamed like celebrating success in the world and people, you know, striving and doing well. And becoming really successful and maybe wealthy with it in the states, which is not looked down upon. Whereas in, I think I don't know if it's a European quality. It's definitely a very British quality that no that that is like anathema to a lot of people. Yeah, I think I carry I carry a bit of that. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. when I find that really uncomfortable. Like, you know, modesty is the virtue for me. You know, I don't like shouting anything. I'm not on the social media. So, you know what I mean? All that yeah. stuff. I find it weird, and I don't know how I can get my head around that. I just don't find it like, selfie. All that stuff. You know, I just find it a bit peculiar. I'm, there I'm is not a hundred percent on it. There is an unhealthy of my successes, but yeah, I think that probably Britain and and the South are not very far away. Yeah. In that, like, there can be nice things about it, but there's there's almost an unhealthy adoration of humility of like, like to where you, you know can't I mean? even like, take like a compliment, can't or, take a compliment yeah. where it's like you just got to be. It's it's almost like deferential to a fault mm-hmm. uh, on yeah. things, or like it, when you yeah. see somebody and you're like, well, as this guy, you know, like he should be thankful. Yeah. Or something like that. Like one of those, you know, no one likes a, 
yeah it's it's kind of the same thing there's like a weird like no one likes anybody who gets too highfalutin yeah well i used to be more yeah, that yeah. way of like i don't care about you know i don't care about famous people and like I, i'm never but uh, you know i got to a point where i realized like after you know i just got to a point where i was like you know i i i do i like it like i mean yeah. if i'm a fan of somebody's work it's fun to meet them yep you know they don't have yeah, to be famous the, yeah uh, yeah, but that's a that's a big difference, though, isn't it? Because like that's yeah. the quality of the work that you're admiring, you know, yeah, and totally. the fact that many other people like it as well is like there's no, nothing wrong with that. That's brilliant, and like you know, yeah. fame is the byproduct. Whereas I think you know the modern malaise is that fame is the product. You know, yeah. that fame yeah. is the thing totally. itself. You know, the famous for being famous that that is something that's worth. That's the celebration in itself. You know, yeah. just the the exposure is the quantity. Well, but I see. I used you know to, what I mean. I Not the song it, or the art or whatnot. The su- like the southern thing, which again is like kind of what Coulter was saying, close to the British thing of being like, well, if I if I get excited to meet a celebrity because I like what they do, then like I'm being, I don't know what, like I'm 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 doing something that's that's stupid and I shouldn't be that way. That's the thing I'm talking about, where I've gotten to the point where like, no, it's whatever, dude. Like, if I meet, I don't know, who's someone super famous? If I met Paul McCartney, like, mm-hmm. I would be like, yo, my, it was Paul McCartney. This is awesome. Yeah. I'm stoked to meet this guy. And part of what makes it inten- yeah. intense is because he's so famous. You know, like, there is, like, fame can elevate intensity of, Yeah, totally. You know. Psychologists have a really interesting phrase for that. They call it the halo effect. And the yeah. halo effect is when you project holy qualities onto people as a result of uh, yeah. renown. Yeah. And you might even then just project um, not only like holy qualities, but just like praise and virtue on stuff mm-hmm. which is rubbish just because of what they've done in the past. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I definitely have witnessed the halo effect like in full effect. I, you know, I, when I was more of a regular in the acting, I did this, as I've mentioned before, I often returned to it because it was such a weird time in my life. I did this production of Macbeth that the very wonderful Patrick Stewart played Macbeth. And I remember that play. Um, that play, the play. And like, and when I, I remember coming to New York, though, and I just remember just like the way people reacted to Patrick yeah, Stewart. Well- was like yeah. i'd never seen anything like it. it was just fascinating it was a fascination like people in the uk were also reacted to him as if like you know he's a significantly famous individual and for good reasons he's done some really amazing work but there's always like the british have there's always a slight piss take equality you know yeah. even if people really admire them which they do there's always a bit of like i'm not going to go too far because don't, don't want anyone to get too above themselves you know mm-hmm. <laughs> but when I remember, like, we'd walk out the stage door on Broadway and it was just like someone else, man. You know, I just had never witnessed anything like it. Yeah. And I remember thinking, that's what that thing is. Mm. You know, this is what's going on. If we're detached from what was happening, from the actuality of what we were doing, is what I mean. You know? Yeah. 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 When, go, when it steps into that sort of slightly odder space. Yeah. Steps into the Jean Luc Picard space. When I was doing that play, by the way, this is a name droppy story, but it's a funny one nonetheless. Is like, I did meet Paul McCartney. I met Paul McCartney. Really? Whoa. I don't think he told us this. Never told you that. Sir yeah. Paul. When we were doing it in London, we, uh, no, Patrick Stewart, very nice man, all told, uh, used to make little announcements just before the show over the tannoy to wish everyone a good luck for the show. Really nice thing to do, you know. Mm-hmm. And so like the tannoy would come on at the half. The half for those people who are not involved in theatre is basically literally half an hour before the first person walks on stage before the play begins. And weirdly, it's 35 minutes, not half an hour because the idea that you need to be a little bit behind so everyone's in position just before it starts uh-huh. anyway so at, so at the half which is 35 minutes before the show patrick would use, often get on the tunnel and um and just say hey, everybody have a great show and uh, and everyone shout down the corridor thanks very much you too you know 
because he'd be right down by the edge of the stage uh, where his dressing room was. And then one day, I was sitting in the dressing room chair, having about five tons of blood poured on my head because I was playing uh, the bloody sergeant, who was one of the first people to appear. And he's like covered in wounds and blood and guts and makes this big speech and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was only, um, and Patrick uh, Stewart made one of those announcements and he went, he went uh, hello everybody. He went, uh, have a great show tonight. Uh, just so you know, Sir Paul McCartney is watching tonight. And uh, if anyone would like to meet him, he'll be in the dressing room after the show. Have a great, you know, and he was like, see you later. And, and like, everyone was just like, you know, it was one of those moments. You're like, what? Did he just, eh? <laughs> you what? Know, and then uh, when I went down the stage and saw him there, I was like, you actually says Paul McCartney. He was like, yes, Paul McCartney's coming. I heard. I, I've invited him back. I don't know him. I, you know, I don't think he'd ever met him either for that matter. But, yeah, you know, word had come in. Someone had got him a ticket and so he'd invite him back. So we, all of us, like, I swear to God, right, 18 actors went to Peace Dew's dressing room after the show. Yeah. And, uh, and lined up to shake Paul McCartney's hand. As you do. Yep. And Paul McCartney was extraordinarily chill. Like, you know, he obviously just does this all the time. He just probably has to withstand this he, he, all the time. You know, what was his and he said the like? same thing. He said the same thing to all of us, but he said it really nicely. I was like, I like walked up to him and I was like, I, I've got to step back a little bit because early on in the show, I turned to my friend Ollie because there was a bit in the show where I had to sing and Ollie had to play the piano live on stage. There was like an upright piano it was wheeled on at one moment in a scene and he had to play and I had to sing this song. And I just said to Ollie and I was like, mate, are there any Beatles songs that you could segue into in the middle of the song? <laughs> and he was like, no, don't be stupid. Don't be a dick. And I was like, come on, mate. Look, Paul McCartney's in the audience. What can we do? You have an instrumental section in the middle. Surely there's a refrain you can squeeze in like yesterday. Hey, Jude, anything. Like, what can you do? Yeah. And he, he was like, no, don't be a dick. And he was like, fuck off. And I went, come on, come on, come on. And then he suddenly was like, oh, actually, it's in the same key as the long and winding road. And I was like, and I was like, yes, mate, go on. He was like, no, I can't do it. He went, no, I'll, I'll fluff it, I'll choke. And I went, no, I kept on pestering him all night. And then, sure enough, in the instrumental section, it was a song called "My Dearest Dear" by Ivan Novello, in fact. And it was this very sort of you know classical English piece of parlour singing. And I'd do my singing bit, and then it was it went into it, and then suddenly Ollie in the middle of it just went. Da 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 dum dum and then carried on with the rest of the song. I fucking lost it. I started giggling insanely. I had to run off the stage. And so when I walked up to Paul McCartney afterwards, I just basically I was just waiting for him to say, thinking that he would have noticed, thinking surely Paul McCartney would have noticed the long winding road in the middle of that song. But all he said was, Hey, nice to meet you, great job, well done. And I was like, Didn't you? (laughs) Hey, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, and then I walked off. I was like, "Did he say it to you?" And he was like, "No, mate. Of course he didn't say it to me. He didn't fucking hear it, did he?" And you made me do all of that for nothing. That's that seems risky. Is there no like? Is there not a way to get in trouble in a few different kinds of ways for that? Uh, Uh, No, I mean, I think if I didn't tell anybody, like, what would happen technically after if there's something that obviously is different in the show, the stage manager. there's something called a show report where anything that's a little bit awry goes in the show report and if there's nothing awry you know you get like a show report that's very short and it just sort of say great show nice crowd show went up this time went down this time yeah um, but if there's something a bit off you know it would be like show report show went up at 7.45 um, good show apart from in advising to Mr. O. Birch played the long and winding road in the middle of the Ivan Novello system song yeah but that's only if you've told them or if they would notice. and I don't think they noticed because I don't think anyone noticed apart from us that's so but, strange. Mm, well, you know what happened, happened, though. 
You know we know what happened. happened. We know that we played the refrain from the long and winding road for support McCartney in a theatre filled with 2,000 people in the London's West End. Oh, that's awesome. But he didn't notice. Maybe he does now. Maybe Paul McCartney, if you're listening. We did that for you that night. Yeah. Write us, Paul, if you're listening, Sir Paul. I bet he uh, is listening. He very well could be. How was his know? handshake? His handshake was firm and friendly. And I would say he was just really gracious, you know. That's he was good. so nice to everybody. Like he was just really nice. And everyone was just like, Wow, Bob McCartney's so nice. Yeah. And Kate, who played Lady Macbeth, he was like a serious actress, you know. And she was just like she was like, Come Bob McCartney. Bob McCartney's just some the nicest man ever. And I was like, Yeah, yeah, he is the, he was just really nice, you know. And also there was that weird thing where you could see him and Patrick Stewart talking and, and you had that weird thing I don't think they'd ever met before, but you couldn't help but project this thing of like they just seem to be getting on. And is yeah. that because there's just like, is there like an international I'm super famous thing? You know, like oh, yeah. secret society energy where like you like I get people bugging you in the streets and, you know, and wanting, you know, so we we share this thing and so we can just instinctively get on. You know, you kind of yeah. thought that was happening. You know, they were just like immediately. Yeah. Or maybe well, they just have both nice human beings, which they seem to be, you know. Yeah. Well, they can I think it's probably a combination. I think it's like a combination of that frame of reference of being in the same stratum of... Uh, you know, so they have like they they understand each other. They're not going to step on each other's toes or anything like that. And they and it's kind of yeah. like a, a little brief respite from like talking to a super fan of like, you know, they're just talking to each other as normal people. Yeah. 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 Exactly. I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure it's all around the fact they're both really nice people. I mean, Patrick Stewart, who I work with, I can't say I'm, I'm still in contact with him that much, but was a really nice human being. You know, like genuinely a lovely, lovely person. Yeah. And I'm sure Paul McCartney also seemed very nice. So I'm sure there's also a level of that. They were like, we're both two nice people. But there's got to be that, hasn't it? There's got to be that sense of like, we walk through the world in a very unique way compared to most other people. And we can, yeah. we can, we can compare notes. Mm. Interesting indeed. There you are. That's an anecdote, isn't it? That's one of the party anecdotes. Watch your, toe, watch your toes out there, boys. Right. We dropped some names. That's right. Dropping some names there, dropping some names like a massive brick. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> like a massive name dropping brick that's going to crush you. I wish name dropping wasn't just like inherently, like what hasn't gotten to the place where it's inherently douchey. Because yeah. like mm. it isn't. Like I don't believe it's not it is. If you, make a you, jo- if you make a real corny joke like watch your toes, boys, I'm about to drop some names on you. Yeah, well, and also if it's just like, if it's just a good story. Like, I have yeah, no I problem with that. Like, you know, yeah, like, totally. Like, I think about that because, like, that time in my life, for example, was a very unique and weird time. Like, I've never – I had this weird year where all this extraordinary stuff happened. It's never happened again since, you know. Yeah. And so I actually get a lot of pleasure in telling stories about that time because it was genuinely extraordinary and, like, really odd and, yeah. like, wonderful and peculiar, well, yeah. you it know. And, and I definitely – I just don't – I sit on a fence thinking, like, well, I should talk because it just seems like I'm moving a bit above myself. But then I was like, but no, I'm not. I mean, because it's not like I live in that world the whole time. Like, couldn't be further from the truth, you know. But yeah. I also kind of did, like, meet some really extraordinary people and did some – and you know, I mean, really weird. You well, know, the list was – you know, just it, goes on and on. I'd actually really like to talk about it. It's, but it's all also about the only the way, thing I can talk about in that respect, you know. Yeah, it's all about the way you use those stories and like the intent. Like if you're like if you meet somebody and be like, "Oh, hello, my name's Howell. I've met Paul McCartney." Then like then it's like, "Okay, uh that wasn't relevant or fun. Mm-hmm. You're just trying to show that you're important." But if you have a good story about Paul McCartney or Patrick Stewart or some famous person, I don't know. I I, I always like I always feel I wish name dropping wasn't just inherently seen as douchey because, I mean, I guess yeah. name dropping is. Yeah. Telling a good story about a famous person is not. I guess that's yeah. the way I think yeah. about it. Like that, what you did wasn't name dropping. That's what I'll yeah, say. But it, 
yeah. yeah, but it's it's it is curious because like if you feel like it's certainly if you've um, well, I don't know what my it's like whether it feels like you are I guess that it's got the defining characteristic has to be like whether someone is like utilizing you know the name drop for person for your credibility personal like status or credibility yeah. or something like that yeah yeah well and that's yeah. name dropping like you're dropping someone's name just for the purpose of making yourself look better versus i'm going to tell a cool story that has a famous person in it yeah yeah but also part of that is i mean just can't get away from that the reason i told that story is because i find paul mccartney to be an astonishing legendary individual you know yeah. much like you you know i mean that's just like that is the bare Fucking ledge man like yeah. he's an absolute ledge. I love the Beatles more what than anything else. And I have, I feel I don't have Proper any ledge. problems with telling a story about me and Paul McCartney because actually yeah. for me the reason why I don't is because he is he like you were just saying. I'm sure he is just a regular normal human being. But for me, I love his music so much mm-hmm. that I cannot separate that. And it is just, it's like you know, magic myths and legends as far as I'm yeah. Concerned. He's also you know, one like, of those people that is is it's unnamed droppable, like yeah. in the way that that happens. Like if your story is just, yeah, Paul McCartney was passing by me and touched my shoulder one time. That's not a, a irrelevant. Any story that has Paul nope. McCartney in it is a hundred percent relevant all the time. Yeah, like he's just one of those people that's so famous that's just like it's like if you met Michael Jackson. Yeah, I saw like, a beetle pick a pencil up off the ground mm-hmm. one time. Like that's it. Yeah. Like that's the that's my story. And it's like, oh, that's cool. He's Paul McCartney. So like that's cool. Yeah, do it. Like you know what I mean? Like it's not like, dude, dude. Guess what? Like I saw freaking matthew fox from lost and he like passed by me in the grocery store the other day like said, what's up yeah like yeah. that's not a story like yeah it, this is this is gonna sound like a name drop but this is like a real thing that we that happened to us that's like not cool like and like i'm telling this story to i'm, I'm over over explaining yeah like, whatever we just tell like, yeah going into the chelsea uh whole foods that one time and katie holmes walked walked out mm-hmm. it was like after an alabama game like and she like looked at us and like yeah. that's not a story that's just i saw katie holmes one time on the street mm-hmm. cool yep. <laughs> like, that's it. That's it. if it was paul mccartney though that's a worthwhile story to tell people like yeah yeah i saw paul mccartney in whole foods in chelsea that's cool i don't know i mean like you wouldn't but that's awesome yeah yeah, it's also there's a question of value, isn't there? It's like well, how yeah. you ascribe value to things because it's like you know I ascribe a lot of value to um, the creative works of Paul McCartney, Sir yeah. Paul McCartney, yeah, you know, and the General Beatles and all sorts of other people for that matter. And um, and so for me, like if I feel like there's a lot of value or there's like a wider shared understanding of like the extraordinary nature of what some people have achieved, you know, and like it's not just me thinking that lots of people think that, but then. Then my excitement at wanting to share a story about that, or whether it, in some way that I've been kind of somehow crossed through similar territories or whatever, is yeah. is often a genuine one to me. Because partly because it feels the reason that I find those things extraordinary is why it feels like an extraordinary story in itself. Because you feel like you've somehow been a part of an arc of that story of being in the world, almost. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, and it's it's yeah. It, it, I think it just it comes down to if the story is good and the person you're telling it to is interested then it doesn't matter like it isn't name droppy that's what yeah, i think exactly. like, just tell them I, tell that, I tell that i tell that story as well just because more than anything else <laughs> like you know that it was such a weird 
I mean, it, I can't even begin to describe what a strange time that was in my life. So when, yeah. for me, telling a story like that, it is almost like revisiting some sort of strange psychedelic dream that I had. You know, yeah. It feels so detached from the rest of my existence. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, and I, th- I think in, in certain ways I do, and I, th- I know in the future that's the way I'll feel about like working for Matt, like getting to meet all the people. Like at some point, be like, wait a minute. That was weird. Like that seems super far away. Yep. Uh, yeah, and like not actually a part of my my life. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, how did that happen? Exactly, that's how I feel. Like, how did yeah. that happen? Yeah. I mean, you know, I've been living in Fort Greene in Brooklyn for four years, and the Brooklyn Academy of Music is where I first performed that play for six weeks. I mean, when I first came to America, and there's a poster of it upside. I walk past it, you know, every other day, and I often stop and look at it, and I'm, I'm just like, it feels so detached from the rest of my life now. I'm just like, I was in that. Did that? Did that? Was I? You know, yeah. I struggled. I genuinely struggled to connect myself to it. I'm just like, mm-hmm. wow, I was, mm-hmm, uh huh, yep. kind of, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think it's great. I love that. I like, I like those moments where you can be like, wait a minute, did, did that? Is that what I was doing? Like that was just that was what I was doing for a time. Yeah, that's what we're gonna be saying when we're gonna be like one day when we're the number one podcast and we have two billion listeners. Uh. Well, I should say nine billion listeners. This yeah, will be in a few years. You know. yeah. What do you mean and, when? What do you mean when? Yeah, well, I mean, there's not nine billion people on the planet yet. But when there is, they'll all be <laughs> listeners. Yeah. Um, and they'll be like, man, remember that time we were doing podcasts and we only had like one billion? Yep. You know, that's what that's what it's going to be like for us. It'll be exactly like that. Remember when like, you know, Paul McCartney wasn't bothering us every day to be on the show? Yeah. <sighs> From talking about listeners, actually, talking about listeners, I think it's probably, we haven't done this for a little while, but it's just worth saying a quick hola, uh, Shamai, uh, as they would say here in Wales, um, to all of our new listeners, because we definitely have some. Uh, it's nice to uh, announce that our numbers have been going up a little bit, and we've uh, oh, yeah. attained some new and more regular listeners. So yeah, so um, welcome to the show, uh, belatedly maybe for some of you, and thank you for tuning in. And um, we used to say very regularly um, at the end of most episodes, we haven't been doing it quite as much recently. But if you are a new listener or even a regular listener, you know, make a look and you have anything to say, suggest any questions to ask, please do get in contact with any of the various yeah. uh, yes. um, means and forms and contactable places that uh call to levi longshore will um very shortly tell you of when Correct. Uh, yeah. yeah you can email us at cold you cannot <laughs> you can email me at culture levi <laughs> uh, see how long i'm not i'm not gonna tell you my email address sorry guys uh, you can email us at firescapepod at gmail.com uh, you can get us on instagram twitter facebook all the social media platforms at firescapepod um, you can get me at Coulter Levi on the Twitter and the Instagram. You can get me uh, on the Instagram, buttermilk underscore Pete. And you probably can't get Howell, but oh. send us an email. Um, let's let's close with uh, a, a few recommendations. Oh, yeah. I we forgot about we this done game. recommendations in a little while. I forgot about this game. Um, I like doing recommendations. Howell, do you have any recommendations? Um, no. Wow. Wow. So Hal doesn't. Hal's recommendations are wow. Go to hell, listeners. That's what he's saying. He doesn't care about your artistic enlightenment. Actually, I do have a recommendation Uh for you. I do have a recommendation for you. I have been reading a very excellent book um, for the second time, in fact, which I would recommend hardly not many people know about it. 
um, called The Manuscript Found in Saragotha. Saragossa. It's by Jan Potocki. It's a sort of, it's a book from the, it's going to sound incredibly pompous, but bear with me. It's from the uh, very early 19th century. It was written in French by a Polish aristocrat set in Spain. It's like sort of a thousand and one nights, sort of weird, strange Pandora's box of storytelling. And it's really absolutely amazingly magical. I would recommend it to everybody. There you are, straight up book recommend. Top mm. notch. There you are, top notch, mate. Top notch. Top, top, top notch, indeed. What do you Pete, see, Bobby? Yeah. Oh, me? Yeah, what do you got? Got? I'm still um, <sighs> I came up I with mean, this idea. I don't even have a recommendation. I guess, I mean, the only thing I'm doing... So I guess to copy Howell, I'm reading a book by Dan Simmons right now called Carrion Comfort. It's very long. Uh, it's about vampires and Nazis, sort of. Yeah. Uh, but not vampires, like blood-sucking vampires. Uh, it's a strange book. It's a really strange book. It's not Nazi is like the one that got deported from Queens. No, exactly like him. Exactly Actually, like it's him. about a Nazi who escaped you know, out of World War II and is in New York City. Wait, for real? Yeah, yeah. Um, 100%. Is it about this guy then? I wonder. Maybe. Does this guy, can he control people's minds? I don't know. We haven't found out. He obviously Mm. couldn't control people's minds enough to not get deported back to Germany. He's definitely not one of the mind vampires. You should read the book. Dan. Read anything by Dan Simmons. I recommend the guy. He he is actually definitely in line with the Fire Escape's whole deal. He is a huge history nerd. He, but also loves fantasy and mystery and monsters and things. So what he does is he takes things, true things from history, that have some element of mystery to them. There's just like, we don't know what happened to this ship, or we don't know what happened to uh, whatever, like what, uh, yeah, I don't know. He'll, He'll take something very true. Whatever there is an element of mystery, he will fill it typically with the supernatural. Um, and he goes through like a ton of research and all of the, you learn a whole bunch of stuff about history, uh, by reading very, very exciting, uh, fantasy, uh, essentially. Yeah. It's great. He's, he's fantastic. Dan Simmons is from Colorado. He's the man. There's Great currently books. an AMC show based on his yeah. book, The Terror, also called The Terror, mm-hmm. uh, which is really good, about the Arabists and the Terror, mm-hmm. which like in British the 1840s, naval, British explored, yeah. uh, expeditionary mm-hmm. service ships to, like, the Arctic. to try and find the Northwest Passage. Yeah, very good. Dan Simmons, yep. that's my recommendation. Um, my recommendation will be um, I think this is my recommendation. I, I, as of this week, it's starting to get, uh, it's starting to get better and pick up. I'm really liking the the HBO series Sharp Objects right now. Oh yeah, the newest um, episode was the, newest the best episode one. Episode was the best one. Yeah. I mean they've all been very well made, but it, 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 it a lot of plot that happened in yeah. in the newest episode. Um, but it's really good. It's based on the novel by the same name, uh, by the uh novelist Gillian Flynn who also did Gone Girl uh and yeah I like it it's good I I enjoy it also we just watched caught up on the first season of The Deuce in anticipation for the second season which comes out September 9th I'm pretty excited about that it's it's it oh, yeah. got a lot better I need better. to see the first season I'm seeing that first season still uh, yeah I haven't either it's, it's, it doesn't have a lot of plot to it there's not a lot that I mean it's like it's kind of just more an interesting uh, like uh it's a beautiful well-made uh rendition of the concept man new york shore has new york shore has changed 
That's basically yeah. the plot of the thing. Like, oh, it was it just, pretty crazy it would, in the 70s, huh? Yeah. Would it just make me sad that New York has changed if I watch it? Not necessarily. It's pretty grimy. Like, it's yeah. all about, you know, prostitution and Ew. on 42nd Street in Manhattan. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and kind yeah. of like the era of, uh, you know, like the cleaning up of New York. Pre-M&M store. Yeah, know? pre-M&M mm-hmm. store, Times Square. Yeah. Uh, well, there you have it, y'all. There's our recommendations. There you Sharp Objects, it. anything by Dan Simmons, and something by Jan, what was his name? Johan Sebastian Bach. Jan Etor. Jan Etor, Dr. Jan Etor. <laughs> How, what was the author's name of, of your fancy pants book? I'm just going to let you dig yourself into that hole a bit more. Um, <laughs> Jan, Jan Pataki. Olga Pataki. Jan with a J, J-A-N Pataki, P-O-T-O-C-K-I. Some pretty good nerd material. Yep. That's some, it's full on nerd material, man. Go I like in making there. the fart noise get, when people get, are talking about nerdy. stuff that's really smart. Get nerdy. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's All right, it. lovers. Rule. 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 See y'all. Yo, what's wrong with the beer we got? I mean, the beer we got drank pretty good, don't it? The days are getting shorter, and you can feel it in the air. Yes, it's that time of year. Pumpkin is finally back at Dunkin'. It's the cozy you've been craving all summer long, now in your cup at Dunkin'. Pick up all of your pumpkin favorites, like the signature pumpkin spice iced latte, or a pumpkin iced coffee, and bakery items like pumpkin donuts and muffins. Sip into something comfortable to celebrate the start of cozy season. Use the Dunkin' app for contactless ordering. America runs on Dunkin'. The days are getting shorter, and you can feel it in the air. Yes, it's that time of year. Pumpkin is finally back at Dunkin'. It's the cozy you've been craving all summer long, now in your cup at Dunkin'. Pick up all of your pumpkin favorites, like the signature pumpkin spice iced latte, or a pumpkin iced coffee, and bakery items like pumpkin donuts and muffins. Sip into something comfortable to celebrate the start of cozy season. Use the Dunkin' app for contactless ordering. America runs on Dunkin'.